Two years after his tragic passing, we've finally seen Marvel's honoring of Chadwick Boseman and his excellent portrayal as the Black Panther, also known as T'Challa. And the pressure was real, I'm sure. The world has wondered for years now how the franchise would adapt and shift with the needed change. How would his legacy be captured? How would the fictional character be lifted up to highlight the real one. Of equal importance to honoring the life lost, Black Panther Wakanda Forever sought out not only that, but also on allowing the coping and processing on behalf of Letitia Wright Shuri and Angela Bassett's Queen Ramonda. That, in my opinion, was the real crux of this film and Long runtime and busy script aside, I am fascinated by the grief processing exhibited in this movie. What can we learn from Ryan Coogler's presentation for grief when there is really no one to blame? Let's talk about it. Folks, welcome to Checkpoint Church, where nerds, geeks, and gamers come together to talk about faith games and Okoye stealing this film, and I won't be allowing any further questions. It will not change under my watch. I am your nerd pastor, Nate. If you like these weekly deep dives, be sure to sub, hit that bell, and find out when our next one drops. Folks, as always, we're going to be starting with our scripture reading for this video. It's going to be read by Stained Glass, one of our level two members, also known as Shane. We're reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26 verses 47 through 56. As always, we're going to be reading from the NRSV UE. That's what's going to be up on the screen. It's what he's going to be reading from. But if you have a translation that you prefer, feel free to use that one as well. With that, stained glass, take it away. Matthew 26, 47 through 56. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived with him a large crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests to the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. At once he came up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you are here to do. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and arrested him. Suddenly one of those with Jesus put his hand on his sword, drew it, and struck the slave of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will die by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled, which say it must happen in this way? At that hour Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I were a rebel? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not arrest me. But all this has taken place, so that the scriptures of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Before we get started, let's throw some spoilers in for this one. I'm going to be presenting the grief presented in this film, so assume that none of the spoilers in the movie are going to be safe. What is Black Panther Wakanda Forever, and why should we care about it? As mentioned in the opener, this is the first Black Panther project since the tragic loss of the star actor Chadwick Boseman to stage 4 colon cancer back in 2020. Knowing the depth and expanse of the MCU, Black Panther 2 was a crux film for the current phase, phase four of the MCU experience. It was almost certainly already written, if not undergoing further pre-production at the time of his passing. This was going to change everything. Fans of the MCU, and especially fans of the Black Panther mantle, were waiting anxiously to see how Coogler, the director of the film, would make the needed changes to the character. Would we see a CGI T'Challa deepfaked into the start of the film? Would he just go off to college a la Steve from Blue's Clues? I just kind of got up and went to college. Luckily, when the day was upon us, neither of those things happened. Instead, Coogler opens the film with Shuri, T'Challa's sister, frantically trying to synthetically recreate the heart-shaped herb that Killmonger burned up in the first film. And... 
she fails and T'Challa dies on the table while Shuri is busy in her technology trying to save him. Then we have a special MCU intro stinger that pays tribute to Bozeman in complete and utter silence. It's beautiful, it's haunting, it's a fantastic start to a great film. This leads into the remainder of the movie, focusing on the tension building between the US and Wakanda, the nation that Black Panther rules and the newfound underwater nation of definitely not Atlantis, Talakan. While Shuri busies herself into the work and technology, Queen Ramonda, T'Challa's mother, takes the throne and kills it as the powerful leader of a nation. For real, woman deserves an Oscar at the bare minimum. We learn that Nakia, the widow of T'Challa, has traveled to Haiti to work at a school or orphanage place we have Okoye, who is the general of the Dora Milaje, who's doing her best to keep the peace between the nations and to maintain a strong sense of power for the weekend Wakanda. So we have four powerful female leads who are all working through the loss of a pillar of a community and frankly, are doing it pretty dang well until the Fire Nation attacked. I mean, Namor attacked. Namor, or sometimes called Namor, is the king mutant of Talokan. He a mutant, was born from a Mayan tribe that ate some kind of gillyweed herb that turned them into merpeople, but not him because he is actually a mutant. In case you can't tell, I'm a little excited that mutants are now in the MCU. Namor is trying to protect the people of his underwater nation and decides that the best way to do that is to force Wakanda to work with his nation so that the rest of the world can be destroyed. Good plan, right? Obviously not. This leads to a silly war that eventually ends the life of Queen Ramonda and forces Shuri to double down on her pursuit of recreating the heart-shaped herb so that she can access the ancestral plane to tap into the wealth of power that is the Black Panther. Movie credits. Shuri succeeds and becomes the next panther, but when entering the ancestral plane, she doesn't see T'Challa waiting to greet her, but instead the villainous Killmonger from the first movie, her cousin, who is less than stellar to say the least. He explains that the reason that she saw him is because their goals are the same, revenge. Shuri then chooses to pursue the silly war with Telecon anyway, and somehow the plot armor manages to hold true and the nation of Wakanda survives, wins, and she doesn't give in to her revenge. Yay, it all worked out, right? Sort of. At the end of the day, the loss is still palpable for these folks. Queen Ramonda is gone. Shuri has now lost everyone, well, almost everyone, wink, and is still not happy with being the Panther. She has no interest in ruling Wakanda and flees the role at the end of the film. Okoye has been stripped of her general status and is dealing with citizenship once again. And Nakia is, well, actually, you know what? She's, she's doing okay. Good for you, Nakia. You go, Glen Coco. But before we look too deeply into this, let's look at the scripture for this one. In this passage from the Gospel of Matthew, we see one of the more famous stories of Jesus where he is finally being betrayed by Judas and is about to be taken into custody. Judas points out who Jesus is with a holy kiss and the guards that attended him arrest the savior of all humanity. Suddenly, one of those with Jesus pulls out a sword and rolls for initiative and lashes out with that sword, cutting off the ear of one of the slaves of the high priest. Jesus turns to the one who's committed this offense and says, yo, put your sword back in its sheath. Fools who live by the sword will be fools who die by the sword. Don't you think if I wanted a war, I would win? I have backup. That's not the way this is supposed to go. And then, Jesus is like, you know what? I'm gonna make this a teachable moment. And he addresses the whole crowd of those gathered behind him to arrest him. Hey, for real, why do you guys bring swords and clubs? Am I some kind of rebel rouser? I'm a teacher. I've been teaching, but you didn't come to get me from the temples. Instead, you're doing all of this exactly as it was predicted. And then the scriptures say, all those who followed Jesus left. They abandoned him. They were gone. We know on this side of things that Jesus will be beaten, bruised, and ultimately die on the cross. A brutal and disgusting death. And at that moment that mattered most, 
Jesus was completely alone and without any support. When I read this passage, I can't help but think about where I would be in the story. On one hand, I am unabashedly a pacifist. I don't think I would be the follower that cuts the guy's ear off, but I might be one of the disciples that gets going when the going gets tough. I might be the one coming after Jesus in the dark of the night someday. I might even be as bad as Judas some days, betraying him in the worst possible fashion. But what's always struck me in this story is that no one does the right thing other than Jesus. It's actually a pretty dismal story. If we're looking for the hope in humanity in this chunk of scripture, well, there isn't any. When it comes to the ultimate sacrifice, it doesn't matter if you have your favorite verse memorized or if you attended every Sunday of church, none stick through that tension other than Jesus. Now I usually rag on the disciples, but in truth, I wonder if this wasn't the moment where they actually did understand what was going on. Jesus, their great teacher, was about to die. And so what we're actually witnessing here is grief. The follower who cuts off the ear is lashing out in grief. Not unlike Shuri, who is willing to destroy if it means working through her grief. The disciples that leave the forefront, they don't leave out of just fear or to abandon. They're mourning the loss that is about to happen. Maybe they simply know that there's no control. Maybe they're just plain old sad, just like Nakia, who just had to get away because there was nothing to be done. Or Ramonda, who boldly puts on a brave face and keeps Wakanda moving. There's simply nothing to be done other than leaving the funeral rites behind at the grave. It's brutal, but I think in both this scene and in the film Black Panther Wakanda Forever, the story being told is one of the finality of death and the process of grief that must follow after. We are slaves to grief. There's no choice in the matter. Even running from it is a choice that we make in our grief, not in place of our grief. By the end of the film, when Shuri does finally burn the funeral cloth that marks the end of the mourning period, that is an in place of the grief process. It's a step on the way, a reminder of the lack of control that we have over the moment. What this film does well is not allowing a simple coping mechanism to be used. It's important that conquering the nation of Telecon doesn't resolve anything. Becoming the Black Panther doesn't resolve anything. Even the post credit scene doesn't resolve anything because there's nothing to be resolved. There's only grief to be had. And sometimes that's okay. In fact, side tangent, we learn a bit about the ancestral plane throughout these movies and the truth of T'Challa's visions is that they often more serve as revelations of change, not helpful advice from the ancestors. So perhaps Shuri sees Killmonger not because of their shared vision of revenge, but instead in order for Shuri to have a revelation of where hatred leads in life and death of Killmonger. The ancestor isn't informing as much as revealing a deeper truth, but that's another video entirely. With all of this in mind, what does this actually mean for us today? What can we use from this scripture to help us better understand our own grief? Well, first, the film presents us with an important lesson. Grief is unavoidable and is addressed in different methods by everyone. No one in this film is ultimately wrong for grieving in the way that they do. It's all simply a process to be worked through. Another reminder is that none of them are actually able to outpower their grief. As human beings, we are wholly incapable of that kind of grace. Only one source can possibly provide that kind of life-changing resolution, and it's the same grace that conquered the grave. Maybe we're still finding ourselves in a place where Christ feels more dead than ever, but Christ did rise and did conquer. There is something more to all of this, and that same grace is made available to you too. But the moment that we're experiencing in scripture, it's still 
happened. We still have to grieve for the death of Christ in order to get to the resurrection. Feel the feelings that you need to feel, but know that at the end of the processing, there's only one entity that can ultimately hold your hand and defeat death, and that is Jesus alone. Did I expect a film like Black Panther to draw up these kind of tools for us to use as grief processing measures? No but I'm thankful for nerdy projects like this that allow for us to utilize the hurt and pain of real life tragedy to help us better understand grief on a personal level. And Checkpoint will continue being here to work through these nerdy projects so that you can get all out of them as possible. So whether you're still working through things, maybe you're in over your head or seeing a light on the other end of the tunnel, know that you're always welcome here at Checkpoint Church. Folks, thank you so much for watching this video. I so appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on these nerdy deep dives. If you want more of what Checkpoint Church has to offer, we are streaming every single Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and every other Friday over on our Twitch channel. We're also active 24 seven on our Discord. We always have stuff going on there, new conversations, challenges. We just started a new challenge for the Game Awards. We'd love to invite you into that for a chance at an Amazon gift card, but more importantly, a chance of the title of the ultimate gamer. So find out more information about that over on the Discord. By the way, if you made it this far into the video, I want to ask a favor. If you wouldn't mind giving us a like down below and maybe consider subscribing if you haven't already. Uh, I would love to know that you liked this video. This is something that you want to see more of. We do use that information for the kind of stuff that we're able to work on here. So be sure to do that. And I appreciate you making it this far in. Hey, quick question for you. Be sure to comment down below and let me know what was the highlight movie TV show moment of phase four for you. A lot of people have had a lot of complaints about phase four, myself included, but uh, this was probably it for me. I think Black Panther was kind of tops. I know a lot of people are kind of ragging on the storytelling or maybe it being too jam packed or whatever complaints they may have. But as far as phase four is concerned, it would either be this or WandaVision for me that have absolutely been the peak. With that, folks, we're going to end this video as we always do with our three things that we believe to be true about every single one of you out there. Number one, we believe that God loves you, like really, really loves you. Number two, we love you. We want community with you. That's what we're doing here on YouTube and over on our Twitch channel and our Discord. And number three, we believe that you, yes, you, no matter who you are or what you believe, we believe that you matter. You are a person of sacred worth. The world is a better place. Why? Because you are in it. Folks, with that, and until the next time that I see you, whether it be right now over on our Discord, Monday on our Twitch channel, or right here, same time, same place, next week for another of these nerdy deep dives, I look forward to seeing you then. Until then, bye-bye! Can you guys imagine if in the middle of Moana, like Maui, came out from the cave and there was just a Bionicle. There's <laughs> just a Bionicle chilling outside with their weird little bug head thing. It'd be a very different movie. Inspiring crossover though.